0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. John chapter 9, we're continuing the study of the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order, and uh, we find ourselves in John 9. We'll cover verses uh, 8 through 41 this morning, and uh, if you were with us last week, you realize that we are in the middle of an account where a man... uh, had been born for glory. In verses 1 through 7, we find this blind man who has an encounter with Jesus, and the disciples ask Jesus, why is he blind? Was it his sin or his, his parents' sin that, that caused him to be that way? And, and, um, and Jesus actually says, no, it's actually for the glory of God. He was born that way for the glory of God. Verse 3 of John chapter 9 says that the works of God might be displayed in him. God allowed this guy to be born blind so ultimately he would be glorified, or so ultimately he would glorify the Lord and uh, actually help people to see that Jesus is the light of the world. And so that was kind of the purpose of that. And we learned that not only was that the case for this guy, this blind man, but also the case for us, that we are born in, in, with whatever things that we have going on in our lives, ultimately for the glory of God, that He might work through us. That might mean that He might heal us. That might mean that He might give us the strength to work through. Those things that we're dealing with, whatever the case might be, we're born for glory. we're born to bring God glory. That's why we exist, and and so we want to do that well. But as we learned uh, last week, that the uh, theology of the day was that if someone were born that way with some kind of birth defect, or would have maybe um, you know came down with some disease, or even a barren womb or something, they they believe that that was a um, judgment from God, and that it was a result of sin they believed that the, uh, an infant could even sin in the womb and and so they came up with all these ideas of um, the reason why people were that way because God surely wouldn't wouldn 't you know allow somebody to be created that way and yet jesus Jesus pulls the curtains down over the man 's theology and says no that 's not the case you don 't quite understand god and uh, I'm thankful for this passage to help us to see that because I I frankly don't understand God sometimes. There's times in my life where I'm like, Lord, I have no idea what you're doing, but we have those verses in the Bible that help us to see that whatever it is, whatever it is, he's at work. And that ultimately, as we endure and as we press forward and we pursue him, that he will be glorified. And so um, Jesus rips the veil down regarding the theology there of the Pharisees and, and tells his disciples that it was neither uh, his sin nor the, um, the, the, the infant's sin or this man's sin, but it was actually that he'd be born for God to work in his life. And then Jesus did something totally random. He spit on the ground. He made some mud, and he put it on this guy's eyes. And he told the guy, go to the pool of Siloam and wash there. And he was sent there to do that. And, and, and by faith, this man obeyed Jesus' words. he had been probably sought all kinds of healing his whole life. And yet, for whatever reason, he obeyed Jesus in this moment. And he said, okay, I'm going I'm to trust you at your word. He didn't, as we'll see today, this guy doesn't even understand who Jesus is. He doesn't know anything about Jesus. You would have thought that, oh, everybody had heard about Jesus. It's clearly not the case with this guy. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. In fact, as he continues to tell his story, he has to, he's reminded about this guy named Jesus. I don't know, it was this man named Jesus. And then he has an encounter with Jesus at the end of the chapter here. Pretty incredible, but, but as he, uh, he goes and he, he you know, washes like Jesus said, and he comes back, and it says that he came back seen in verse 7 there. Now, we're going we're gonna to go about this a little bit differently this morning. Normally, I would have you stand up, and I would read, these verses and then we would pray, but we're not going to do that because we have so many verses we're going to try and go through today that I'm just going to work through it as I go. So I'm going to read the verse and kind of work through the passage that way, but I want to just ask the Lord to bless our, um, our study here this morning. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for your graciousness, Lord. We thank you, God, that you took the time to explain yourself to us that you would put accounts in your word that we could so re- recon... that we could so... Um, I don't even know the word, but that we could, we could really just... What's the word? Re- reconcile with, maybe, I don't know, but that's not the word, but Lord, you know. And we, we pray this morning, God, that you would help us, Lord, to, as we're reminded of what you've done in this man's life, that we could relate. There you go, that's the word. We can relate to this man that that we too were once blind, but now we see because of Jesus. Would you help us this morning to see clearly what you would have to say to us this morning? Lord, we know that your word is active and alive and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And if we will be honest with ourselves this morning and allow your spirit to work in our life, you will change us. We will not remain the same person. May you do that work in our hearts this morning. God, we submit ourselves to you. We surrender to you this morning. And we ask you to work in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the title of my sermon is Tell Your Story. If you're anything like me, you like you like a good story. There's nothing like a good story. A good story will captivate you. It'll captivate the audience. It will change the mood and perspective of people. It will quite literally change people's lives, the way that they live, the way that they think, the way that they love. The story of Joey, uh, Joey and Rory is certainly doing that. If you know anything about this country music um, duo, they're going through one of the toughest battles in their lives right now, Is Joey, Rory's wife, is dying of cancer. She's literally dying in this moment. She's been sent home to, with hospice and just been, you know, kind of just keeping her comfortable, but... There's not any much, anything they can do. They decided not to continue on with chemo. It wasn't working. And so they just, they're just resting in the Lord right now. Now, most people in that situation would just go and be alone. And they wouldn't share their story at all. But these guys have chosen to do quite the opposite. To really keep people, um, you know, uh, keep them abreast of what's going on in their lives. And, 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 and as every day, you know, uh, Rory has a blog that he's kind of, you know, I don't know if he does it every day, but he's, he's keeping people up to date on what's happening in their lives. And, and why is that? Well, that's because that they have a hope in their hearts that trumps the reality of death. They have a hope in their hearts that crushes the spirit of fear. They have a hope in their heart that overcomes the grief of suffering and loss. That hope is Jesus Christ. In Rory's blog here on November 14th, he wrote this about his wife. He said, Joey's hope never fades. No amount of pain or medicine can touch it. It runs too deep. It's connected to her faith in God. And as she will tell you, God can do anything. Hundreds of thousands of people are hanging on every thread of the story as this is unfolding. Some are confused by it. Uh, Some don't understand that as tragic and difficult as this is, how Joey... And Rory can be so steadfast in their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> One of them was Joey's father. Joey's father was wrestling with the peace that they had. He didn't understand, "Why are you daughter? Why are you not angry with this? You had so much going in your life. You know, you're just right in the prime of your life. things are going great and, and all this stuff, and you get plagued with cancer. I don't understand. I'm confused. I'm, I'm kind of angry for you. And yet, it would be her testimony of walking through, suffering well, suffering well on behalf of the Lord, that her father would give his life to Jesus Christ. That her dad would, would bow his heart. When her father gave his life to Jesus, Joey said, I just cried. Now all of my family believes, and all of my family, when we die, we're going to see each other again. She told her dad, I would go through all of this again if it meant one person came to Christ because of it. The fact that my daddy did. Dad, I would do it all over. I'm so proud of you. When I die, I'm going to be looking for you. And when uh, and I want you to know that after you hug my brother, Justin, who had apparently died in a car accident in 1994, I'm going to be next in line. I'm going to be next in line. Death, where is your sting? You know, Death, where is your victory? This woman has an anchor for her soul, Jesus Christ, and she's holding on with everything she has and death is not going to strip that away from her. Praise the Lord for her. She is suffering well in difficult times and yet God is being glorified. People are being transformed. Lives are being changed. Why? Because she's telling her story. She's telling her story. I've seen multiple of my Facebook friends posting different things about thoughts regarding this and how she could stand before this Goliath with a David-like faith and she would conquer this one and people are cheering her on because of her faith in the Lord and it's changing their lives they're becoming braver through her as a result of her bravery isn't that how it works isn't that how it works when you listen to somebody else's story and you think like oh you went through that Oh, you've been, through, you've been through a miscarriage. You've been through, you know, you, you had an abortion before you got saved or whatever, and you went through that, and now you, under, you can relate to me, and you're, you're holding on to Jesus Christ, and I see that you're not struggling like I'm struggling. Oh, what's different about you? And you tell them the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And it changes their life. God gets glory, and people's lives are changed. That's what uh, this life is all about after you come to Christ. It's about sharing your story but about letting the Lord work through your life that he might impact other people's lives. So don't get too caught up in the world. Be about the Father's business. Be about sharing your story with what he's doing in your life, even currently. Be about that business of telling your story. That's what we find in our story this morning. A man telling his story. If you're a Christian here this morning, you have a story to tell. God has transformed your life and that's a big deal. That's called a miracle. That God would transform your life and He would make you a new person. You've been born again. You're no longer the same person that you once were as a result of bowing your knee to Jesus Christ. As a result of believing in your heart that, God, that He died and rose again from the dead for you. That His blood covers your sin. He changed your life. That's a big deal. People are somewhat afraid to share their story. Maybe they don't feel like maybe uh, they, they, they have the theology all worked out on it, so they're afraid to share. Listen, it's not about theology. This guy knows nothing about Jesus, as we will see, and yet he is just sharing his story. Now, the response is not up to you, is it? Whether people respond right or not, or whether, they, whether they hear you and they allow God to transform their life, that's not up to you. Your responsibility is to share what God's doing in your life. And you leave those, that, that result to him. Let him do that. That's the business that God is in, is changing lives. We're simply the, the, um, the vessels that he uses to do that. Our stories matter. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home, and you think like, well, my story's not that, not that powerful. I mean, at 15, I wasn't in a gang, and I wasn't smacking crank up my you know, whatever. I wasn't doing drugs, and I never went to prison, and, and all these kind of things. I never really had that kind of a lifestyle. So my story's not that impactful. Wrong wrong your story is impactful every single salvation story is unique and it's powerful and God works in those stories whether we see them or not listen we we just need to share our story doesn't matter what your background is you know don't embellish the things that you you know don't don't make things up to make your story be better just stick with the truth man God God will use your story but share it don't be afraid Don't be afraid to share your story. In our text today, we we find a formerly blind man that shares his testimony multiples of times. He's kind of on trial, actually. People are confused by what what they see in his life. They don't understand how he can be a different person. Some people don't even think it's him. Some people completely reject the idea that God could have done this in his life. Listen. Listen. This man just sticks to the truth and he says the same thing over and over again. He talks about who he was, his encounter with Jesus Christ and who he is now. That is the format of your testimony. You can take an 8 by 11 sheet of paper and you can draw three boxes on it and you can say who I was, my encounter with Jesus Christ and who I am now. And you can just begin to write out your testimony, who I was, and begin to put the detail in it. You don't, you don't have to make it super long. In fact, you should be able to share your testimony in a couple minutes. Just the highlights of it. Hey, you know, I, I, was, I was somebody who wasn't living, living right, man. I was a guy that thought I could be saved by doing good works and everything. But then I had an encounter with Jesus and he showed me my sin and I realized that I needed a savior. And I recognized through different people that had shared the gospel with me that I needed Jesus Christ. So I bowed my knee to him in my bedroom at midnight at one night and I got saved and God transformed my life and I've never been the same since. That's my testimony in a nutshell. It's that simple. Just keep it simple. You know, tell the detail of who you were before who you are, uh, how you encounter Jesus Christ, and at the end of the day, what your life looks like. Now, people can see it. It's a very simple format. And that's what we see this guy do. He's telling his story. Let's pick it up in in verse 8 here. What we find is that people will respond to his story differently. Some people will be confused by his story. Some people will reject his story. And some people will just completely and totally shun this guy completely and shut him out of their life as a result of his faith in Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 8. It says, The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus. Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. At the end of verse 7, we find this man having an encounter with Jesus again as Jesus puts the clay on his eyes. He goes and washes from the pool of Siloam. And uh, it wasn't that the pool of Siloam had any power whatsoever. It's that he would demonstrate some sort of faith. That he would demonstrate some sort of faith. God works in the Bible when you look at, I don't care what healing you look at, there is some activation of faith that takes place and God works in that faith. That doesn't mean that if you, God hasn't healed you that you don't have faith. That is a false doctrine. That is not the way that God works. Sometimes God works through our pain and suffering to bring himself glory too. So we can't get caught up and start making dogmas about, you know, well, it's because you don't have faith. No, that's not the case sometimes. Paul didn't have faith, Right? He had a lot of faith, I think. I, I think he had so much faith that God used him tremendously to push the gospel forward into the Gentiles. It's not necessarily... It can be. It can be a result of faith. If you're not believing in God, that he can heal you, that he will heal you, then that, that, that's your bad. That's unbelief. We're called to believe, but we're called to rest in the sovereignty of God and whatever he wants to do in our lives and however he wants to work that out. We're going to be satisfied no matter what it is. We're going to be satisfied in his working in our life no matter if we gain healing or not. We're going to continue to walk by faith in him no matter if we see what we want to see or not. We're just going to rest in his work. But Jesus had to see faith in this man. That's why he sent him to the Pool of Siloam. And this guy went and did that. And as a result, he comes back seeing. Now he came back to where he was. He came back to that place where he had that encounter with Jesus. And maybe that was on his neighborhood street. I don't know. And, and, you know, he comes running and running back around. Woo, I can see. Look at me. I can see. And people are like, what is going on out here? And they come out of their house and they see this dude that they they know to be a beggar that has been blind since the day he was born running up and down the streets declaring the glory of God because now he can see. And they're like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? You don't see that every day. I mean, I've not seen that ever in my neighborhood. That would be awesome, though. I would come out and I would say, and I would respond in the same way. Is that the same guy? Is that the same guy that was just on the corner begging? Man, I'm not sure. All the while, yeah, it's me, and he's running back and forth. And then other people would come out and they would say, no, no, that's not the same guy. That's not the same guy. He looks like him, but it's not the same guy. He is, he is a different guy. This, this is a guy that looks like him. He also must be a beggar and, and you know, something. I don't know. But, it, but it, it looks like him, but it's really not him. And, 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 and so they ask some reasonable questions. They don't understand. They're confused by what's happening. So they say, tell us your story. Tell us your story. How did you get like this? What, what happened? It's a reasonable question. So here's where the story begins. And he begins to just give his testimony. A man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I did. And I received my sight. Wait a second. You didn't pray? Or you didn't have to pay anything? Or you didn't have to do any um, penitence? You didn't have to... You, you mean you didn't have to like walk up some stairs? You didn't have to sacrifice something in order to be healed? You were just healed? And, and all of a sudden now you see, yeah, that's exactly what happened. I didn't do anything except for believe. I obeyed the words of Jesus and I received my sight. It is a miracle. That's simple. And that's what he stuck to, the simplicity of the testimony of G- I had an encounter with Jesus and he changed my life. He changed my life. It wasn't me. I didn't change my life. Man, I don't know about you, but I've tried to change my life and it doesn't work out for me. Every time I try to change my life, it gets messier. Every time I try to, try to change my life, I get deeper into darkness. But when I rest... In the Lord, and I say, God, I can't do it. I surrender to you. My life changes. Simply because it's God saying, you've got to rest in my work. You've got to rest in me. You can't do the work that I can do. And so he would say, just believe in me. That well, sounds too simple, too good to be true. That's, that's the gospel. That's the gospel, and I'm glad it's the gospel. It's not based on us. It's based on what Jesus did. He starts to tell these men him, his, his uh, testimony and, and they ask him, well, well, where is this Jesus then? Where did he go? I'd, I'd like to meet him. I've got some things I need to work out in my own life. So where is he? I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, I see what's going on here. The Jesus that you're talking about, does he even exist? Who knows? You know, it's, it's fascinating to me that they don't seem to know who Jesus is. Did, don't you approach the scriptures, the gospels, as if everybody in the entire Jerusalem, uh, you know, the entire of Israel and everywhere else in the world had heard about Jesus already? Didn't you kind of approach the gospel and go like, man, the things that he does, you would think, I mean, in this day and age, it would be on YouTube. People would be sharing it. They'd be social media tech, tweeting it out. Check this out, this Jesus guy. Whoa, you know, in the end times, you watch when the two, two, two witnesses... I, I plan on watching it from the, 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 the um, balcony, but some of you guys, you know, you can choose to, to watch it here if you want, but um, the thing about it is, is that, that we'll be able to see that, I think, you know, the, the two witnesses, people will be filming that, and it'll be on YouTube, and you know, the technology that we have today, but I, I anticipate people already know, it blows me away that these people don't know about Jesus, so what that says to me is don't assume that your neighbor knows about Jesus, don't assume that your coworker knows about Jesus. Don't assume because you live in America and because there's a church on every corner that these people have heard the gospel. Don't assume that. That's a wrong assumption. That's a completely wrong assumption. And maybe they've heard a form of the gospel but not the real gospel. So share the the gospel with people. Don't hold back thinking that, oh, they live in Tennessee. This is the Bible Belt. Everybody's a Christian here. Wrong. That's wrong. Share the gospel with people. This man... Uh, You know, these people don't necessarily know who Jesus is. And so what do they do? They do what anybody would do during this day. They would bring this man to their religious leaders who would be able to make some sense out of all the craziness that's going on here, of course, because they make good sense out of everything, you know. So verse 13, it tells us, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked him, How he received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes. I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, he said, He is a prophet. He is a prophet. The Pharisees from the get-go are not impressed with this miracle whatsoever because it was on the Sabbath. It was on the Sabbath. Maybe that gives us a little bit of indication why Jesus did what he did. Because Jesus, you know, it's funny how God, uh, I was talking to a brother last night about how God, in the midst of what he's doing in our life, he's using it in other people's lives. You know, how how God is, is so multifaceted that he can use the same exact account in a whole bunch of different people's lives at the very same time. It's incredible how he does that. I think that's what he's doing here. He healed this man for the purpose of um, you know, bringing glory to God, that people might see Jesus as the light of the world, but at the very same token that he might deal with some um, theology that was man-centered and man-made that was not of God at all, this idea of the Sabbath. You know, Jesus was trying to help people see that the religious leaders were not, totally on track with God that they had made this thing far more difficult than it was supposed to be in the first place and don't people do that still today don't they try and make it more difficult man if you go to the movies there's no way Jesus is going to save you I mean man if you do this or that there's no way Jesus is going to save you and we start to put all these rules and regulations. well you just show me in the bible where it says that and I'll and I'll believe you but show me in the bible because I don't want to hear what you think I want to hear what God's Word says. And you show me in His Word where it says that, and I will look at that. And if you're taking it out of context, I will tell you that. You know, that's why we have to have a good grasp of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation so that we have a working knowledge of the Scripture so that somebody can't pop in on you and bust out a Scripture and make it say something and you just go, whoa, whoa, that does seem like it's saying that. So I do have to be baptized to be saved? When you look at the whole of Scripture, no. There's some scriptures that definitely you can twist and you can make, you know, isolate them and say, yeah, this is what it says. You have to be saved, you know, and they were saved, but but it doesn't say that. And so people will make doctrine out of God's word as they isolate scriptures. Do not make a doctrine out of one scripture. Do not make a doctrine out of one scripture. It's better to leave it alone, to be honest. If there's only one scripture on something, some subject matter, it's better to just say, well, we'll wait and see what the Lord has to say about that. Let's not start making stuff up. And these guys... The, the religious leaders um, had been passed on through, through their lineage. You know, they had been passed on the Mishnah. They had been passed on the, the, all these rules that they had broken down, the, the, uh, the, the, the scribes or the Pharisees had broken down these, um, these, the, the, the commandments and whatnot, and they made them into all kinds of regulations. There's, uh, I don't know, 600 and some different laws that they made about how they were going to accomplish Keeping God's rule. Well, well, the Bible says there's really ten, but they had a they had they had volumes of books on how you kept those Ten Commandments. And it was ridiculous things. You know, you couldn't, you if you wore sandals that had a um had some nails in them, uh, on the Sabbath day you would be considered, that would be considered a burden on your foot, and you would violate the Sabbath because you were wearing sandals that had nails in them that was a weight it would be considered a burden you know if 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 you were a woman and you were to pl- pluck out a gray hair on on the sabbath day that would be considered work if you were to spit on the ground and by the way they didn't like the spit was considered a medicine back in that day in the first place so if you were to spit on the ground and 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 then you so they didn't spit at all really too much because that was considered medicine but if you were to spit on the ground and then mix that dirt up you would be you know in trouble of needing isn't that what jesus did exactly what he did he was trying to break down the walls of these these man-centered man-made rules you know and, and there and the pharisees are standing before jesus and they're saying you violated the sabbath no not the sabbath your sabbath jesus didn't violate god's sabbath he violated man's sabbath and that's fine he was sinless he didn't sin at all before his father, but in man's eyes, he sinned greatly, and that's the case today. People might see things that you're doing in your liberty, in the fact that you have some liberty in Christ, and, and you know, um, there's things that you can do in your life. Maybe you can handle alcohol and you can have a drink. It's not a sin to have a drink. It's a sin to get drunk. You know, but but yet there will be people that will say, no, it's an absolute sin, dogmatic. If you if alcohol, t- 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 you know. Touches your lips, you're, you're in sin. That's not what the Bible says. And I will, you know, show me where it says that because that's not what it says. If you get drunk, it's a problem. If you can't handle it, then you shouldn't do it. That's what the Bible says, you know. And, and, and I think that for me, I just choose not to do that. I just don't, don't really feel like I need to do that. But, you know, I'm not judging people. There are Christians that I do know. There are pastors that I know that, that drink wine or whatever that don't get drunk or anything, but yet, I don't judge them. That's between them and the Lord. So let them deal with that. You see what I'm saying? So don't, you know, don't allow man to start to guilt you into a law-keeping mentality that says, if I do this and if I don't do that, then I'm not a Christian. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the only basis for your Christianity is whether you believe in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that he died for you, that he rose again from the dead for you, and that his blood covers your sin. That is the extent of the gospel. And that's what it tells us. Now, your works will demonstrate your belief. They will definitely come out and you'll see that. And and as James would tell us and in many other scriptures, you know that the idea of of our faith would come out in our works, that we're legitimate believers in Jesus Christ because we're walking that way. Because how can you come into a relationship with God and how can he touch your life and transform you and and you're not the same person you were but yet you still be doing exactly the same things, you know? You're transformed, you're renewed. You've been given strength and power in your life to walk in newness of life. So then it's a choice. And you walk in that newness of life. These guys were all caught up on the idea that Jesus had violated the Sabbath, man. And, and, and here's the deal: is that it wasn't a violation of the Sabbath to for a miraculous healing. Like if Jesus would have just spoken something and said, hey, be healed that wouldn't have been work for him. He wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have been a problem. But the fact that he took the dirt and he kneaded it up with spit and he put it on the man's eyes, that was considered a medical healing. And do you know during this time on the Sabbath that they, the only time they were even allowed to deal with somebody if it was life-threatening, if they were going to lose their life, if you fell down and broke your leg, you weren't even allowed to ice it. You weren't even allowed to do anything. You were just, hey, man, sorry. You'll have to wait till the morning, you know, to take some aspirin and stuff, we'll just have to see if we can get that swelling down tomorrow like God would do that. <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that you, can't, you couldn't do anything that would better a person's sickness or ailment or anything or it would be a violation of the Sabbath. Is that ridiculous? Man. And yet some people still to this day live like that. Some people still to this day are trying to find peace with God in that way. I'm going to Israel in two, two weeks, and I'm going to see that. I'm going to watch that. I'm going to see those people. Actually, it's in a week. You know, we're, 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 we're going to be there, and we're going to see that on, on, on Saturday that everything's shut down, and people don't even touch, they don't even, uh, you know, touch whatever in, in the elevator. They don't, they don't touch things. They don't do things. They don't... They don't turn their lights on and off or anything like that. They have things that electronics that do that th- those things for them. They're on timers, all that kind of stuff because they're afraid that they would violate the Sabbath. It's insane. It's crazy. But yet, there are people that, that are trying to find favor with God or trying to please God. And I will say Christians fall into that sometimes too of trying to find favor with God by doing good things. God, I did this for you. Are you pleased with me? god I, I, I didn't do this, so are you pleased with me and God says man I'm already pleased with you I, I'm pleased with my son and, and because you came in the you came through my son to me I'm pleased with you, not based on what you do, but based on what Jesus did. you already have his favor he's already pleased with you. These men were trying to bring out the idea that Jesus had violated uh, the the the, um, the Sabbath, and then they get into a fight amongst each other saying, you know, well, this man is not a man of God, because a man of God would not violate the Sabbath. Well, good thing, because Jesus didn't violate the, the Sabbath, Sabbath, so we're good on that. But then there would be, um, the, the other side of some of the Pharisees would say, well, hold on a second, if he's a sinner, how could he do these great things? And there was, there was a division amongst even the, uh, the Pharisees here. Jesus has a way of doing that. He has a way of dividing people, and, and even in families, you know, Jesus has a way of doing that. It's not his intention to do that, but it's just the idea that he is, he is counter-cultural. He is countercultural. He doesn't fit into the culture, and he doesn't conform to the culture. And so when his, his body doesn't fit into the culture, that creates division, and that creates problem. But that's who we're called to be. We're following Jesus, not a culture. Culture changes constantly. Who could keep up with that? Some people are still stuck in the 80s, man, and that's cool. Get stuck in that era, wear the hair, rock the shoes, whatever. Do that, that's fine. You know, but but if, no, if I'm not caught up in that era, it's okay for that too. You know? I'm, that's all right. So, so the Pharisees, you know, they, they're divided amongst each other regarding this. and uh, they, So they, they, they come to this guy and they say, you tell us, Jesus, what do you think? Or you tell us, this blind man, what do you think? Who do you think he is? He says, man, this guy's a prophet. I don't even know him but he sounds like a prophet to me. And maybe he was even referring to, maybe he knew the word and that he knew Deuteronomy 18, 18, where Moses would say that there would be a prophet like him that would come. And he referred to him as that. Maybe this guy's the prophet. He goes on, check this out. Now, you encounter people who will not believe your story. And, and look at verse 18, we find uh, the Jews did not believe and he had, that he had been blinded and had received his sight until they called his parents of the man who had uh, received his sight and asked them, "Is this your son, who you, who you say um, who you say was blind, uh, born blind? How then does he now see?" His parents answered, "We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him; he's of age. He will speak for himself." His parents said these things because they feared for the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, "Ask, ask. um, He is of age, ask him. The the Pharisees were so skeptical of this miraculous work that they called this man's parents. Now, my parents had been called a lot for a lot of different reasons as I was growing up, but never to find out if I was born this way. Like, when I I went into the principal's office and they said, we're going to call your parents, they weren't calling to find out if I was born this way. They already knew I was born that way. So they already knew that I was a troublemaker and that I'd be in trouble. But but, um, they called this guy's parents. Believe that? He's a grown man. They call his parents. We don't believe you. Now, that's pretty insulting. Considering that you have lived in this community your entire life. Your whole existence has been in this radius around your house because you're blind. It's not like you can go travel across the country or anything like that unless you were with somebody. You Your whole sphere is pretty small. You would think the people around you, the, the guys in the synagogue that um, you visited every week would know who you were, that they would have an understanding of who you are, and yet... Because of Jesus, they choose not to believe. Because of Jesus Christ, they choose not to believe in who this man is. And they begin to investigate his story. They, they want to know, is this, was he really blind? Would you guys just uh, was, that, was that a stick? Were you guys kind um, of you know, trying to make some money off? Uh, and that was the way you were making a living, so you sent your son out there to, to beg for you, but he really wasn't blind in the first place? Now, what's wrong with you people? There's people that do that today. They didn't trust this man and his word. And how insulting that is. How insulted are you when people don't trust you at your word? It's kind of insulting. Especially if they're people that you're, um, you know, you, you're, you're kind of the, the religious leaders. Going, no, man, you're lying. As a result of a miracle, by the way. As a result of a miracle, you're going to call this man a liar. But now this guy started to go, hold on a second. I, I, I'm starting to, I mean, I can see, like, I, I can see, but... I'm really starting to be able to perceive now. I'm starting to perceive into your life that you're not everything you say you are. That there's something not right with you as it relates to this man, Jesus, and so you're, 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 you're projecting that on me. Hold on a second here. What's going on with you guys? And so they ask his parents and his parents, now this is interesting. You don't see his parents rejoicing in this. You don't see his parents you know, ecstatic because he was healed. You see them fearful. You see them afraid. They're not rejoicing with their son. How many times had they prayed that God would take away that blindness from him? How many times had they brought him to the synagogue and asked the priest to lay his hands on him that they, that he might be healed? How many times did they beg God in their rooms at night saying, God, if there's something that we've done, would would you please just I'll take it. I'll take the sin. I'll take it. Put it on me, whatever the case might be, but don't judge him. And I find it interesting that in this moment, they're not rejoicing at all. They're afraid. They're afraid because that's the amount of power that these guys had over the people. They, they were afraid that they'd be kicked out of the synagogue. And it wasn't like in this day and age where you can go down the street to another church. You know, you get excommunicated from a church in in America, whoop de doo big deal. I got a bunch of them to choose from, so go for it. And that's kind of how people live. You address somebody on their sin, and they're like, I'm out of here. I'm not dealing with that. You don't tell me who, you don't judge me. Really? You call yourself a Christian? Well, hey, man, if there's things that don't match up to your life, I'm sorry, but as a believer, I'm going to say, hey, man, you ever read this scripture? You know, you might want to you might want to look at it, you know, and ask the Lord if that if that would relate to your life, and if there's things in your life that that don't align, you might want to deal with that, you know. Oh, I'm leaving the church, you know. And there are times where people where you have to excommunicate people from the church, and that's called church discipline. It doesn't happen all the time, thank God. Thank God it doesn't happen because that's a stressful stressful time on the leadership of a church when they have to bring before the congregation and say, guys, there's this person. And they've done this, and we, we're not going to have fellowship with this person anymore because they're, they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, as the Lord would reveal that, there is a time for that to happen. And, you know, God forbid that ever happened here. If it, if it did, we would do it. You know, because we take the scripture seriously. And we, you can't, you know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. We're all sinners. But there's a difference between blatant sin that says, I don't care what you say, God. And I'm going to come in and I'm going to do what I want and I don't care what anybody thinks. And I'm going to live my life however I want. Well, why do you come then? I don't understand. Why would you come to a place to disrupt? That's why. That's what wolves do. They disrupt what God is trying to do in, in, in a church. So y- there's a time for that to happen. And his parents were afraid at this point in time. Their, their identities, listen to me, their identities were wrapped up in the synagogue. Their identities were wrapped up in their religious uh, position as it relates to the synagogue and the religious leaders. And if you were blackballed, if you were excommunicated from your church in this day and age, you were done. You might as well move to another town. You might as well move far, far away because you would be done. It would be like being a Mormon in uh, um, Drapers, you know, Utah or something like that where it's 99% Mormons and you become a christian guess what you literally and i know people this has happened to you become blackballed this person is um, not of the faith anymore they're, they're 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 speaking against our religion so we we will have nothing to do with them and they excommunicate them the Jehovah's witnesses do the same thing you know and and that listen to me that is not inherently wrong if it's done in the right context that's what i'm saying. that happens in the church here too but it's not wrong if it's, if it's done in a way that, um, you know, it's done out of, out of a reality of discipline because someone's not willing to heed the word. Paul said to the church in Corinth, he said, listen, there's a guy sleeping with his mom. You need to, you need to escort him out the door and not allow him back in until he's repentant. And that's really the, the deal, is it's not like you're excommunicating somebody from the church because you don't, you're never going to have fellowship with them. When they're repentant, when they come and they say, hey, I've repented from the Lord, and you see that change in their life, and you can see their continents change, you know, then, then that's fine. You restore them to fellowship. That's extreme, right? It's, it doesn't happen very often. You guys probably would never see that. You may have seen it once in your life. I've never seen it done in my going to church you know, for the time I've been a Christian, but I know it's happened. Um, so these guys, they're, they're, his parents were afraid of being shunned. And, and, and listen, the fear, to operate out of fear of sin, operate out of fear sin. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Don't let fear rob you. Don't let fear rob these parents of this moment to rejoice with their formerly blind son. It robbed them. It stripped them. They will never get that moment back. And I wonder how often they sat in their rooms at night and wept because they didn't rejoice with their son and didn't stand with him with what was going on in his life in those moments, but they were so afraid that they shrunk and they didn't stand strong. And maybe you know that feeling because someone has asked you, hey, you're a Christian and you're afraid to say because it's in a c- circle of maybe it's a peers of maybe you're, you know, and, and you're afraid of that group of peers and you're saying, well, yeah, well, no, well, yeah, um, well, kind of, I mean, Fear. Don't let fear rob you. Don't let fear stop you from standing firm in your faith. Listen to me. We're living in, in, in perilous times. We're living in days, in, in a day and an age where, where um, fear is, is the mode of operation for the world. And it's what many, many people are trying to use to sway people. And we see it in our media and we see it all over the place. But listen to me. God has not given you a spirit of fear. You stand strong in Jesus Christ. He will strengthen your legs. He will strengthen your feet. He will give you the ability to stand. I, I, you know, we're not afraid of what's going to happen because, you know, ISIS claimed that in, on Sunday today that they were going to, you know, they're going to do some acts of terrorism across the country. Guess what? I'm going to church. I'm not changing my plans because of ISIS. You know, I'm going to trust Jesus Christ. I'm not going to go out and look for ISIS. I'm not going to go put myself in harm's way, but I'm not worried about what happens to me. I'm not going to stop proclaiming the gospel. I'm not going to say that Allah is, is not um, a, the true God, because he's not. And I, I, I mean, I'm going I'm to say that. I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm going to proclaim the reality that Jesus Christ is the only way, that there is no other God besides his Father, and that the idea of all of that, and I'm not going to stop because someone says we're going to continue to hunt Christians and kill them until they convert to Islam. Sorry. Not going to do that. And, and, and whether, you know, there, there are peaceful Muslims. But still, Jesus Christ is the only way. Jesus Christ is the only way. And, and that's what I'm going to stick to. And I'm not going to persecute somebody because they don't believe what I believe. But I am going to stand for what I believe. And fear will not rob me from that. And I pray that fear won't rob you from that. And we would stand for Jesus Christ today. We can't let fear rob us. You'll regret it. Verse 24. So the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Listen to his response. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see I don't know who this guy Jesus is, and I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, but what I do know is that he changed my life. What I can tell you is what I experienced, and what I experienced is real. I can see you. I never saw you before, but I can see you now, and I can see right into you, and I can see you're not everything you say you are. And I can see that you're, you're, you're proclaiming to live a godly life, and that you're far from it. And Jesus would tell the Pharisees that they're putting... Burdens and, and that, that they themselves can't even lift. And yet they act so righteous before them. The Pharisees are attempting to rob Jesus of any and every ounce of glory that he can get here. Every ounce of glory. This man said, Man, the one thing that I know is that Jesus Christ changed my life. You can't argue with that, can you? You can't argue with Joey Feek, who is saying, You know what? I'm not afraid to die because I have, my faith is in Jesus Christ. You can't argue with somebody who's laying in a bed that has cancer that's saying, you know what? God, take me whenever you will because I'm not afraid of it. You can't argue with that. You can reject it. You can, you know, you can choose not to believe it, but you can't argue with what the experience of somebody else and what, what's going on in their life and what, how God has encountered them and changed their life. You can't argue with that. When you tell people your story, your people are going to respond differently. As we've seen, some will be confused, some will be unbelieving, and some will cast you out altogether. Look at verse 26. They said to him, "What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes?" He answered them, "I've told you already, you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples?" And they reviled him, saying, "You are my you are his disciple." We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. Why? why, uh, You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opens my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began... Has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a, a man born blind? If this man were not of God, not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, "You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us?" And they cast him out. This is a classic example of, you know, a, a dialogue that that is being lost. And when 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 a dialogue, when it, when when a conversation turns into an argument, you know, and that argument starts to escalate emotions. And then things get personal and then you start lashing out. And that's exactly what's happened. They can't, they can't um, make a case that Jesus is a sinner. And they're trying to get this guy to proclaim that it's this Jesus is a bad man. And this guy's saying, I'm not going to say that because, look, he, he gave me sight. I don't know who he is, but I'm not going to say that he's a sinner. No way. I mean, this guy changed my life why do you guys keep asking me this? Don't you get it? I didn't do anything. I was sitting there. I didn't even ask for the guy. He showed up in my life. He changed my life. And now you guys have a problem with it. Listen, I'm sorry. Do you want to become his disciple? He kind of gets a little sarcastic with him. It's kind of like, why don't you become his disciple too? We can all join hands together, you know, kind of thing. And, 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 they get upset, man. They get, they, you know, and, and they always, this is when pride wells up, they always refer back to the pedigree, don't they? The pedigree, oh, we're children of Abraham. Jesus says, yeah, you might be uh, physical children of Abraham. You're definitely not spiritual children of Abraham. Oh, we're, we're disciples of Moses. Yeah, you're not really following. You might have the anger Moses had, but you definitely aren't following the way that Moses would, would have you to be walking right now. You're not, you're not being all that you're called to be here. And, and, and you know what? You're blind. And this man can totally see this. And what do they do at the end? Because they can't make their case. They tell this guy. They, 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 um, they offend him and they tell him, you were born in utter sin. Back to the theology of the day. You're a sinner, man. You're not going to tell us. You're, you're going to teach us? Come on. And they disfellish or they, they excommunicated him from the synagogue. This whole man's life, listen to me, he just gave up everything for Jesus. Do you understand that? He just gave up everything for Jesus. His whole life will never be the same in that town as a result of what he just did right here. He stood for a man that he didn't really even know. He didn't have a full understanding of who Jesus was and yet he would stand for him and he would not say the things that they would want him to say and, and he would be excommunicated from the fellowship. We're called to give up our life for him. He gave up his life for us. Listen, your popularity is not really going to matter in heaven. Whether people liked you on this earth or not is, is going to have no <laughs> eternal bearing whatsoever. Do you understand that? What earthly people thought of you is not going to matter so much when you're standing before God. I promise you that. You're going to say, God, I think what you think about me matters more to me than what they think. Jesus says, for those who would desire to um, gain their or save their life, they'll lose it. But those who would save, those who would lose their life for my sake, man, you're going to be blessed. God is calling us to live a life of sacrifice today, and sometimes that means sacrifice in our social life. I don't have any friends anymore because I'm a Christian. You know what? You have a whole family now because you're a Christian. You know, you've been adopted into a family. We're your friends. We're your family. You know, we're here for you. This guy's whole life just changed in a moment, and then he find, and then Jesus shows up in that man. And isn't it awesome that when when something devastating happens like this, that Jesus shows up? Isn't that how, like he's there always, but I mean, he shows up in a big way here, like physically, like he shows up. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This man had no idea who Jesus was. He knew who the Pharisees were. He knew that they were, they were children of the devil at that point. The fact that they would kick him out of the synagogue because he was healed, come on. Listen, you see people's true colors. And in this moment, he understood who they were. He was waiting on the Son of Man. They were waiting on the Messiah to come. And he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Show me where he is, and I'll believe. This, this guy was full of faith, man, and not a blind faith. His life had been changed. He, he was ready to receive, and he was ready to believe In the Lord. And it's interesting to me that he goes from calling this man Jesus to, you know, to this prophet Jesus to the Lord Jesus. You see how, in a short period of time, how his understanding of who Jesus was had come around, and how he, as he just continued to share his story, how miraculous that story was, how it changed his view of who Jesus is. That's what happened to him. He said, Lord, I believe. And, and it says here that he fell down and worshipped him. This is, a, this is another declaration by John that Jesus is God. Jesus didn't say, no, 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 get up, get up, get up. You don't worship me, you worship God, because I was a created being. No, no, I'm, I'm actually God, go ahead and worship me. Go ahead and fall at my feet and worship me, because I am God, I'm God in the flesh. It's okay for you to do that. He worshipped God right in front of everyone. This guy was not holding anything back, are you? He held nothing back before the Lord. Are you holding anything back from the Lord? Are you going to worship Him freely, no matter where you are or where you go? Or will you let fear strip you, strip the fear of man, strip that away from you? Will you stand firm in your faith for the Lord, or will you uh, shrink back when, when you start to be called out on your beliefs? This man said, "I'm going to worship Jesus, man," and he worshipped Jesus. And Jesus goes on to tell this man, as he's just worshiping at his feet, he goes to tell him, for judgment I came into this world that those who did not see may see and those who, who may see, those who see may become blind. Well, that, that kind of is confusing because Jesus said not too long ago that he didn't come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. But now he's saying that he came in to judge the world. That, that's not what he's saying. For, I judge, for, for judgment I came into this world. Jesus isn't saying that he came to judge the world, but there is inherent judgment that comes as a result of rejecting Jesus. That's what he's saying. The fact that somebody would would hear what I have to say and see the things that I've done and then would reject me, there is inherent judgment that comes as a result of that. The fact that those who would claim to see would would choose to be completely blind to what God is doing through me in the world would mean that there would be judgment upon their life. The judgment Jesus brought into the world was a judgment as a result of jec- uh, rejecting Him. In other words, it wasn't that Jesus was condemning the world for sin, but that there would be inherent judgment that would come as a, re- as a rejection of Him. MacArthur commented, he said, to reject Jesus' Jesus's peace is to receive His punishment. To reject His grace is to receive His justice. To reject His mercy is to receive His wrath. To reject his love is to receive his his anger. To reject his forgiveness is to receive his judgment. While Jesus came to save, not to condemn, those who reject his gospel condemn themselves and subject themselves to judgment. Uh, One commentator said this. He said, "Uh, Jesus is like the continental divide in the Rocky Mountains, a single place where an entire path is decided. Jesus is the pivot on which humanity or which human destiny turns. Judgment hinges upon your rejection of Jesus Christ or not. That's what he's saying. There is inherent judgment as a result of what you would do with me. Jesus isn't judging the world, but as, if you reject him, you receive that judgment in and of yourself. The Pharisees, of course, had a problem with that, To what they, they had to say there, and they, and they said to him, Jesus, man... Are you calling us blind? So prideful that they can't even see that. And, and Jesus would say, if you're blind, then you would have no guilt. But you do have guilt, don't oh, you? Yeah. But you do have guilt because you, you see and you choose to reject. That's what he's telling them. Spurgeon said, um, you know, I used, to, um, I used to think that if I wore spectacles, I wore glasses that people would think I was too old so I could kind of see, so I wouldn't wear them because I was really worried about people thinking I was old. But it came to a point where I couldn't see really clearly anymore, and so I had to put those spectacles on. And he said, at that point, I didn't care what people thought because I had to see. But I had to see. And he said, that's the illustration of what Jesus is saying here. They choose to not see even though they can see. They choose not to. He choose not to put his glasses on because he was too worried about what everybody else thought. The Pharisees are doing the same thing. They're rejecting Jesus Christ. Listen, if you need... If you don't think you need Jesus today, then you're one of these guys. You're blind. You're blind. You're choosing not to see that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. And pride will do that. It will blind you from the recognition of what you really need in your life. You need Jesus. Jesus came to give Himself up for you, and He came to die for you and rise again from the dead for you. And, and the Father is, is at work in your life, even right now, by the Holy Spirit drawing you to Himself that you might believe on Him. And now the choice is yours. You have to decide what will I do with Jesus? You're on the continental divide and you're going to choose one side or the other. And God says, if you're not for me, you're against me. There is no, there is no middle ground. You have, to, you have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. Listen, the truth is hidden from those who don't want to see it. The truth is hidden from those who want to see it. But if you truly want to know, if you truly want to see it, God will unveil your eyes to the truth. But you have to take a step. You know, it, it, We don't approach God with, God, show me and then I'll believe. But God, I'll believe, then show me. That's how we come to God. We believe, and then he shows us. And he will confirm your faith. If you're in need of the Lord this morning, man, you just need to cry out to him. You need to just bow your knee to him this morning and say, Lord, you know what? I kind of need that in my life. I I, I don't know that I could say that I had an encounter with you. I don't know that I could really have a testimony to share because I've never... I don't know that I've experienced that change that that you know this pastor's talking about. I don't know that I've ever experienced that, you know. And and maybe that's what you need this morning is to have that encounter with Jesus. He's here. He desires to work in your life and he wants to call you in to his family, but you have to respond to him. He's done the work for you. You have to recognize the fact that your sin is separating you from God. And God is saying, "If you would just come to me and you would say, "Jesus, I believe in you." And I believe what you've done on the cross, and I have sinned, and I have fallen short, and, and I'm, be- I'm going to put all my trust in Jesus today, and I'm going to believe what he did on the cross for me, that his blood is enough for me, and that he rose again from the dead. But If you'll do that, if you'll put your faith in that, God will, will show up in your life big time. He will transform your life. You will change in the moment, just like we will when we go to be with him, and the twinkling of an eye will change in, the, in this very moment when you declare by faith you're believing in Jesus. Your life changes. He justifies you. You become his son and daughter. So if you need that this morning, man, do that. And if, if, if you're here struggling with sharing your story, hopefully you've been encouraged by what this man had knew nothing. He knew nothing, and he shared his story. Share your story. Share your story. If you don't have a story, maybe you need to get one this morning. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and just for your word and just for the story that we find through Jesus, what he's done in this man's life and how he continued to transform him and use him in miraculous ways, God, and, and, and yet it was just the simplicity of his faith. For some here this morning, Lord, they need that in their lives. Just, and you provide the faith that, for us to even believe in you. So, Lord, if there's anyone this morning that needs a relationship with you, would you just call them into relationship with you? Would you just help them to recognize that they need to repent, that they... Need to turn away from their sin and recognize that their sin is separating them from you, and just that they would cry out to you in their own words Father, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe in Jesus and that He died and rose again from the dead for me. And as I declare that to you today, Lord, I'm putting all my trust and hope in Him, and I'm cha- I want my life changed. I don't want to be the same person. Change me, Lord. Give me sight. I'm blind in my life. I need to be able to see, Lord. I need you, Jesus. as they would confess that, Lord, in a simple prayer, how you would change their life. And Lord, for the rest of us as believers, God, that you would help us to be consistent in sharing the gospel through our stories. And um, we don't even have to quote Bible verses at people, Lord. We can just share what you've done in our lives. Give us, uh, the, encourage us to do that, Lord. Help us to be strengthened and to have the boldness to share your gospel in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.